Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And what you can do then is if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, put your finger in 1 Peter chapter 3. So Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 3. And let's go ahead and do this. I'll, uh, let's go ahead and read this particular passage. It's a very familiar passage, obviously, in regard to husbands and how they, how they treat their wives. Let's go ahead and read verses 25 through 27. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27. Notice it says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In fact, verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own body. You know, I, I alluded to this in the other, the other session when the Lord took joy, it, it's hard to explain. There's such a finality to death. It's just, it's just they're gone. Now, to be honest with you, there probably was a little bit of comfort while her body was there. The hardest part of the funeral service for me is when they closed the casket. It was just unbearable. They're gone. And there's a time period I thought, Oh, there's a thousand things I wish I would have done. It was just there. And the power of this passage, husbands, love your wives, is so key and it's so vital. I'll mention this, probably I'll mention this close, close to the end. You know, the, I, one of my irritations, I really apologize for this, even to mention this to, to, uh, with the young people here. A lot of my frustration as a pastor was with the young people. You know, I expected them growing up in the church, understanding the standards and being taught these different things, growing up in the church, growing up in their homes. I just expected them to follow and they didn't. Now I could tell that on the outside they appeared. They had to do those things on the outside. But I knew they didn't want to do them on the inside. And as they became teens, I'm thinking, oh no. And much of my frustration, sad to say, is, is it really ultimately, and I'll come to this later on, probably tomorrow morning, it really was my fault. But I found out it was the home. And the primary aspect of the home is that there wasn't the right relationship between mom and dad. I should probably say it this way, between dad and mom. This passage, Husbands Love Your Wives, I believe is the key to the home. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Oh Lord, I really pray for strength in this session. I pray for strength in every session, and there's not a session I don't need strength. But I'm asking you for your power right now. Thank you for what we've heard, Lord. Thank you for the exchange life. 
Lord, if there ever there's an area that needs to be demonstrated, it needs to be demonstrated in the home. And if it's, it needs to be demonstrated in the home, primarily it needs to be demonstrated by the husband. Father, guide in this conversation. Lord, open our hearts. Help us to be honest. Help us to see what you would have us to see. That, Lord, that we might glorify and honor thee, especially in the home. Now, bless, I pray, through the divine spirit for the cause of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, I want you just to look at this. If you got your Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll turn there really in a second. I just want you to notice two things. Number one, I want you to know there's only one command. And it's husbands, love your wives. It's a present active imperative, which means present means it's to be continuous. It's not, it's not supposed to be sporadic. It's an active, that means you are to do it. And it's an imperative, which means it's imperative. It's a must. But I want to draw your attention that there's only one command. Now, if you went to a bookstore, a Christian bookstore, how many books would you find written on the home? Probably many. I'm, I'm, I'd say hundreds, but I may be exaggerating in that regard. Many. And isn't it interesting? The one command God gives is to love them. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Now, I understand there's a lot of ramifications in regard to that. But I do want you to understand there's only one command, and that's husbands, love your wives. Number two, what I want you to know is that there's a standard that's presented here. They are to love their wives. How? Isn't that interesting? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, it's interesting. What dawned on me is the standard of love. I, and I'll mention this again. But by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you have love one toward another. And then Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, not as yourself. That was Old Testament. Now he says that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know I'm commanded to love you the way he has loved me? And do you know every husband is commanded to love their wife as Jesus loved the church? That is a standard. You need to hear the last session message that that standard can be fulfilled. But that is the standard. You can never do it in your own strength. It's only by his life in us and his life through us. The power of his life. But that is the standard. No less. So one command and one standard. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now what I want to do is I want to bring this down into a more practical aspect. That's why I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 now. If you flip over there. One verse I want you to read there with me. 1 Peter chapter 3 is verse 7. Notice what it says. It says, likewise ye husbands... Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and, and, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now I'm going to break this passage up into three sections. The first section I want to break it up to is, number one, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, obviously referring to your wife. Number two, giving honor unto the wife. Number three, as unto the weaker vessel. So dwell with them as uh, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, 
as unto the weaker vessel. So number one, dwelling with him according to knowledge is the concept of knowing her. Knowing her. Now there's four things I just want to point your attention in regard to knowing your wife. Now, obviously, this would be true in everyone who is married. This would be true in everyone who is going to be married. And I'll tell you what, if you're not married and you're looking for a husband, it'd be neat to find these qualities in him. The first thing I want you to understand is that you don't naturally understand your wife. That's new to you, wasn't it? I mean, you never thought of that before. But the truth is, is you don't naturally understand her. Because the Bible says to dwell with her according to knowledge. The other aspect I want you to see is that based on this verse, you can. So the Bible says, dwell with her according to knowledge, meaning that I don't naturally understand, but based on this promise, I can understand. And here's the concept. How do I get to know her? I believe it's by communication. So you have a concept that I don't naturally understand, but I can understand. And the way I understand her is through communication or the way I understand is talking with her, taking time. Now, a person might say, well, you just don't, I just don't understand my wife. I just can't understand my wife. Now, let me ask you something. What's that saying about that person? He's not communicating to find out. He's not talking to her. He's not doing that. So you have this first aspect is that you don't naturally know, but you can know. And the way to know is through communication. And if you don't know her, it's because you're not. Point number two. The second aspect under this aspect of knowing the Lord you need to, t- now, obviously, you need to take time to talk to your wife, but you need to take time to talk things over with her. Now, here's what I want you to get is when you communicate with your wife, you need to learn how she thinks. You say it's impossible. It's not. <laughs> you need to learn how she thinks. You need to understand how she feels about a situation. When a situation comes up, Honey, what do you think about this? And listen. Honey, how do you feel about this? And listen. Then pray with her about it. So in other words, the concept of communicating with her is the concept of learning about her, learning how she thinks, learning how she feels, seeking to understand her in every single or particular situation that arises. Now, a person says, I do talk to my wife. Now, I'll tell you how I talk to her. I, always, I just tell her what she needs to do. Men are fabulous in two things, telling their wives what to do and lecturing them when they don't do it. Here's why. You're not doing what I'm telling you to do. And that's the opposite of what he ought to be doing is learning about her. So you have, you don't naturally understand, but you can understand the way is communication. It's not lecturing to her. 
It's learning how she thinks and how she feels. Number three. Men must see that they don't naturally know how then to meet their wife's needs, but the Holy Spirit will teach them through prayer and communication. Now, let's go to a counseling session just for illustration purposes. Now, here's the husband and wife. And, and the pastor, or the counselor, or whoever, is talking to the husband and says, now you need to learn how to meet your wife's needs. And he says this, well, I'm doing that. Now, when he says to the pastor, I'm doing that, how do you think the wife's reacting? She's, now, she's, she's, maybe she's doing this inside, but if she could express herself, what she's feeling on the inside, and she could express it on the outside, what would she be doing? You know what? It's not whether you think you're meeting her needs, it's whether she thinks you're meeting her needs. I can always say I'm meeting someone's needs, but that is not really the truth until they say he's meeting my needs. So the concept of understanding communication, of understanding your wife in regard to meeting your needs is not whether you think you are or the husband thinks they are, it's whether she thinks he is. This is very important too. You know, a person, first of all, in regard to this particular aspect, dwell through your wives according to knowledge. Where does God place the responsibility or upon whom does God place the responsibility as far as knowing how their wife thinks? Is it the responsibility on the wife to tell the husband? Or is it the responsibility of the husband to know the wife? Do you know what the passage says? Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Men have the responsibility of getting to understand their wife. It's not the responsibility of the wife to share or to, to make their husbands understand how they feel. So here's what a guy says. I like this. He says, well, she never told me how she felt. How was I supposed to know? What's the answer? Yeah, you didn't ask her. And it's your responsibility to do it, not her responsibility to share it. Isn't that a neat statement? Husband, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. That means you don't naturally know, but you can know. It's your responsibility not just to tell her what to do, but to understand how she thinks and how she feels. And thereby you'll be meeting her needs, not because you think you're meeting her needs, because she sees you're meeting her needs. And you've taken the responsibility and have not waited for her. Husbands. So in this command, husbands love your wives. The first part is to dwell with them according to knowledge. Number two, giving honor unto the wife. Now, we're going to talk about her strengths in this section. And then as unto a weaker vessel, we're going to talk about her weaknesses in that section. So here's her strengths. And there's three things. I'll just mention them. Then we'll dig into them a little bit. Recognize her, thing, her strengths. Value her strengths. And respect her strengths. Now, what do you mean by strengths? Now, usually this is the case. I understand there's exceptions to it. But usually the case is where that, 
that you opposites marry. So in other words, this man is outgoing, she's shy. This man is shy, she's outgoing. You don't understand that there's, there's, there's just opposites uh, that get married. Usually that's the way it is. Joy and I were opposite. She was love, I was hate. I mean, she was, we, were just, <laughs> we were just opposites. She was, she was wonderful, I was terrible. I mean, that's just, the way, that's just the way it was. But we were just totally opposite. Now, here's the way it goes. And this is what I've seen over years and years of talking of, of marital problems. Usually, he has strengths and he has weaknesses. And she has strengths and she has weaknesses. But here's how it goes. His strengths parallel her weaknesses. And her strengths parallel his weaknesses. So a marriage does one of two things. Either they conflict or they complement. So the point here is that in regard to her strengths, which are parallel to our weaknesses, you need to recognize them. Now, here's what I want to ask you. When it comes to strengths and weaknesses, especially in regard to their wives, what do men usually only see? Her strengths or her weaknesses? If it's me, it's weaknesses. I can spot a weakness in a second. I look for faults. It's one of my problems. I, I, everything can be good. I detect the one thing that's wrong. I'm a perfectionist in that way. And it's not so much that I want to degrade them as much as I want to help them, but I'm always looking for faults. So, so consequently, what am I always focused on? Faults. You say, well, preacher, I know my wife's strengths. Okay, real quick right now, in your own mind, not out loud, not to your wife, but just in your own mind, just name 10 of them right now. Go ahead. How far did you get? <laughs> Well, 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 give me some time. I know there's some there. You know, it's amazing. Her strengths are intended to help your weaknesses, which leads us to the next point. So the first thing is to recognize her strengths. The second thing is to value her strengths. Learn about them. You know what the Bible says? When God made Adam a help meet for him, we say help meet, but really it was a help that was meet that was just right for him. And the concept of the term means a completer. That without him, I mean, I'm sorry, the husband without the wife is not complete. Well, how does God use the wife to complete the husband? Because God gave that man a wife whose strengths will help him in regard to his weaknesses. And how does he learn that? By dwelling with them according to knowledge and valuing them. Recognizing them. She's going to make you a better Christian. That's the way God designed it. So, why do people get married? Now, understand there's many things that can go into this that, that you probably would all be thinking now. It's because those two people together will serve God in a greater capacity than they could if they were single. Why? Because she completes him and they together as they blend and become a unit have a greater capacity to serve God than they would have had they remained single. So you need to recognize them. 
Second, you need to value them. They're a benefit and an asset to you. I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is the truth. It really is the truth. It really reveals me, but it's the truth. One of the reasons I was so careful about marriage and, and sought to understand God's principles in regard to marriage, and I know I can use the word courtship and could mean a thousand different things, but, the, but I, want, I had to find God's choice for me because as soon as I got married, she would become the pastor's wife of Ann Arbor Baptist Church. And here was my thinking, Lord, what if I married somebody and the church didn't like her? It'd be terrible. Now, the Lord gave me exceedingly abundantly above what I could ask or think. I am telling you, our church loved joy. That when she died, they would have preferred, I'm not saying this is absolutely true, but they would prefer that I died and she lived. <laughs> I'm honest about this, and this is true. They loved her more than me. She was love, I was hate. I mean, how, I mean what's the choice there? But you know what? She was such a huge benefit. To me personally, to my ministry, to the church, for the glory of God. She was invaluable. That was part of the reason there was such a loss in my own life and to the church when I lost joy. She was a huge asset. So we recognize her strengths. We value her strengths. And number two, or number three, I'm sorry, we respect her strengths. This is so crucial. So here's the concept. Number one, not number one, but just in this, this idea, you need to trust her insights. You need to understand her concerns about things. You need to respect her judgments. You need to understand her timing about things. In other words, when you run something by her, you want to glean everything you can from her, how she thinks timing as to when this ought to happen whether this ought to happen, she, you, should, you should take in everything you can that God wants to do through her as your helpmeet or your completer. Now, let me give you a negative and let me give you a positive. Let me read this passage. You understand this. This is when Jesus appeared before Pontius Pilate. Do you know that when Jesus appeared before Pontius Pilate, that meeting to some extent or in some way was interrupted and they came into Pilate and they handed him a note. Does anybody know what that note said? I'll read it to you. It said this, And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Do you think things would have gone well for Pilate had he listened to what insights and wisdom his wife gave at that time? He totally neglected it to his detriment. Let me give you a positive one. Shortly after Joy and I were married, it was about a year, we moved into a house. I had purchased my dad's house. I had fixed it all up. It was a beautiful house uh, for us to move into. And Joy and I just loved the house. It was just beautiful. Well, at that particular time, or a year after we, had, we were married and moved in, the church that we were renting, the people who are renting it to us were going to sell it. And they said, if you want to buy it, we'll give you the first dibs. Otherwise, we're going to sell it to somebody else, but we're going to sell it. Now, the church didn't have the money to buy it. So what I was going to do somehow, and I can't remember exactly what my thinking was, but I was going to do somehow is, is loan the money to the church uh, from our house some way so that we could 
we could move towards buying the building. That wouldn't be enough to buy it, but it would be a step towards it. Now I was trying to figure out how you could do it in regard to taxes and this would affect that and that would affect that. And Joy and I would talk about it and so forth and so on. And I remember one morning I was studying in my office and the Lord said to me, now I understand it wasn't audible, but the impression was very strong. He said, why don't you just give it to the church? And you know what? That was it. I remember we're newly married. It's one year. She's in her honeymoon house. I came home and I said, Joy, you know, I've been trying to figure out how to do this. I just don't know. You know what I'm, I'm impressed to do? It's just give the house. You know what she said? She says, I've been praying about the same thing. I think we ought to do it. Whoa. What a confirmation. Well, not only did I want the confirmation from Joy, but I also wanted the confirmation from Joy's dad. What did I do giving this girl to this guy in a year he gives the house to the church? What an idiot. So I said, well, honey, let's do this. So let's call your dad up. And you're on one phone, I'll be on another phone, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see what he thinks. So we call up Dr. Van Gelderen. We're on the phone and we talk for a little bit and Joy's on the other line and she says hi and so forth. And uh, I says, well, I says, I says, you know what? Both Joe and I think the Lord's leading us to give the house. We try to figure this out, figure out nothing's working and we just sense it's the Lord's will for us to give it. You know what he said? He said, praise the Lord. <laughs> he says, he says, Dr. Bill Rice gave something to, to help in regard to the Bill Rice Ranch. He says, the Lord will bless you for it. And we did. We actually gave a quick clean deed to the house. They sold it. And back then, it would be 1989, around that time, uh, we were able to give $50,000 to the church. And we bought the buildings. And things began to escalate from there. What a help she was. Listen to her. Know how she feels. Trust her insight, her judgment. So you have the concept. Honor her. Okay, know her. Honor her. The next is to value, uh, the next, I'm sorry, is to treat her with tenderness. As unto the weaker vessel. Now, in regard to her strength, you honor her. In regard to her weaknesses, now remember she has strengths, she has weaknesses. Her strengths match our weaknesses. Our strengths match her weaknesses. So how do you treat a wife with her weaknesses? What's the key major element? Tenderness. How do you treat a weak vessel? Being fragile with tenderness with care, with concern. Now, I want to give you a concept of this tender treatment. If I could boil it down into one word, I would use this word, shepherding. If you look at a shepherd's relationship to the sheep, you'll see it's a relationship of care, protection, tenderness. We won't quote we won't quote Psalm 23, but Psalm 23 would fit in this particular aspect. 
Val is marking these points down, and her phone just went off. <laughs> she said, don't stop, stop. I'm, I'm getting all this. All right. <laughs> so here would be the concept of shepherding. Shepherding, or in shepherding, you help her, with her, you help her overcome her weaknesses through unconditional love and by treating her with tenderness. So let's do unconditional love. First of all, the shepherd, unconditional love. Is there any verse in the Bible that tells you the degree of unconditional love the shepherd gives to his sheep? Does anybody know? I'll give you a hint. It's John chapter 10. The good shepherd, what does he do? He gives his life to the sheep. You know what a pastor is? A shepherd. You know what a pastor needs to do? Give his life to the sheep. You know who's the shepherd in the home? The husband is. You know what the shepherd in the home does? Gives his life. I understand to the kids, but first and primary, and we'll see why in a minute, he's a shepherd to his wife. Tenderness. Unconditional love. Now, let me give you a couple aspects of shepherding. And there's many, but I'm just going to give you two. The first thing, it, it goes back in some respects, is it, you, you focus on her strengths, not on her weaknesses. Now, we already talked about that. In other words, can I actually name 10 strengths of joy? I, I think I could. She had many of them. I wish I'd have seen all of them. And I valued her tremendously. But the tendency is to focus on the weaknesses, to neglect the strengths. But here's what I want to get across in this point. It's not just that you focus on the strengths. You tell her that you know how she's strong and you recognize how she's strong and you value how she's strong. You know, honey, you are tremendous in this. You know, you have a strength in this area. You let her know that. So it's not just knowing them and recognizing them that you could put them on, on a piece of paper. But the concept here is to let her know that you know them and to tell her that you appreciate them. Here's the second. Knowing, telling, and demonstrating that you appreciate her strengths. This is the second one. This is huge. You need to love her as she is. With her faults. Before she changes, not after she changes. Now, there were certain faults that Joy had. One was she had no sense of time. She just had no sense of time. I don't know why you're laughing, but anyway, she had no sense of time. <laughs> I, I, it'd be 20, 30, and if I let it go 40, 50 minutes after church, she'd just be talking. She had no idea that I wanted to go home and eat and get a nap. Now, she knew that, but that wasn't part of her thinking. Her thinking was on people. And when she thought about people, time went out the window. And I'm telling you what, I'm so glad she loved people. So I had to learn sign language. There are three signs that I learned that I could communicate to Joy as long as she was in the eyesight of me. This is fast, this is hurry, and this is now. 
In other words, Joy, it's time to go. Fast, hurry, now, let's go. <laughs> and she loved it. You know what? She never got it down perfectly. Do you know what? I loved her with her falls. I loved the package. She didn't have to change on that. I loved her where she was, with her strengths especially, and even with her falls. That's a shepherd. Do you know something? God loves you with your falls. As you are, before you change, that's all part of shepherding. So the concept of an unconditional love, which is demonstrated by the shepherd giving his life for a sheep, you recognize her strengths, but you love her as she is. The next thing in regard to shepherding, shepherding in a, with an unconditional love, is shepherding with tenderness. Shepherding with tenderness has the concept, and I'm going to relate to this, so I'm not going to go into There's a difference between shepherding sheep and driving cattle. And to be honest with you, for 30 years in the ministry, I did more of the driving cattle. I did not do very much shepherding sheep. It, it was getting them where they needed to be, seeing their faults, knowing their faults, addressing their faults, getting them into the corral. That's totally different than shepherding. Now let me give you, some, again, the idea of shepherding with tenderness. There's a number of things that we could talk about. Let me just give you three of them. The first aspect is that shepherding always leads with humility. You had heard about the humility of Jesus Christ. But in regard to us, tenderness, the concept of shepherding through tenderness, leads or shepherds the sheep or leads with humility, honesty, and transparency. So you have this concept. When you're wrong... Admit it. You say, but preacher, I'm never wrong. That's where you're wrong. <laughs> now, why do you need to admit that you're wrong? Because they already know it. They see you're wrong even when you promise you're not. They know you're wrong. You and your heart know you're wrong. Just be honest and transparent and say, Honey, I'm wrong. It's not you. It's me. You say, Well, preacher, won't a person lose their respect? No. Here's the concept. I love this. She already knows that you're wrong. But when you humble yourself, confess, and ask her to forgive you, you win. You don't demand. You win her respect and you build her trust in you. Do you trust a person who won't admit they're wrong? Do you respect a person who won't admit they're wrong when you know they are? Why would a wife respect a husband who's wrong? You know he's wrong. You're not going to win her respect and you're not going to build her trust in you. But when you say, man, I blew it. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry. It wasn't you, it was me. I should have listened to you. Her respect grows and her trust builds. That's a man I can follow. 
a man I can trust. He's honest. So the other aspect of tender leading is leads with forbearance and long-suffering. Now, I already talked about the concept of the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. We're dealing with a wife's weaknesses. You demonstrate your love for her and your tenderness for her uh, through these concepts. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'll mention three of them, but I'm going to mention just two of them here. You, you demonstrate them by forbearance and you demonstrate them by long-suffering. Now, let me just review what forbearance is. Forbearance means you don't deal with her in the way that she deserves. There's things that she does. You can come down hard on her, but you choose not to. Number two, long-suffering means you put up a long time with her faults, even forever if necessary. Do you know, are you ever going to be perfect here on earth? God is going to put up with our faults until heaven, in some cases. Forbearing, long-suffering. So, well, am I forbearing? Do I put up with her faults? Do I hold back? Do I give her time to change? Well, let me ask you. Uh, I'll go through this. These are evidences. If you're not forbearing, not long-suffering, do you get irritated with her faults? Every day. Do you get angry with her faults? Is your tone of voice harsh when you correct her in regard to her faults? You know, there's times that, that Joy said this to me. It's not what you said. What's the rest? It's how you said it. Most men blow that off. And it's true. You know, a wife needs to be treated with tenderness. It's amazing what she will do. When you're forbearing and long-suffering and you treat her with tenderness in your attitude, in your tone of voice, in your, in your you know, the inner frustration, they can tell when it's there. They see it. There's a power in unconditional love and there's a power in tenderness. Now, the third thing in regard to tenderness, tenderness is careful not to abuse one's authority. I, I really, in my preaching, I'll, I'll probably mention this later so I don't need to mention it now, but men take authority home and I am telling you, there are two aspects I just want to mention in this point as far as abuse of authority. The first one is pride always leads to abuse. And the concept of pride, I know there's other elements to it, but the concept of pride is when you feel you have to always be right. I know a man that he and his wife would go for a drive and he'd get lost. He knew he was lost and she knew he was lost, but what did he say? I'm not lost. Stop and ask for directions. I'm not lost. You need to find out. It's obvious. I'm not lost. He never would admit it. And what would take a half an hour might take two hours to get there. He had to always be right. When that takes place in a home, you will abuse your authority. The second one is this. There's an abuse of authority when you have to have absolute control. 
Absolute control will always lead to abuse. You know, men have this ego. You may be low on the totem pole everywhere else in life, but you are going to be at top of the totem pole at home. You're going to make your wife know you're in control. I'm the fat cheese. I mean, big cheese. <laughs> It'll always lead to abuse. Leadership always leads with humility. So, the boss mentality, I have to always be right, will always lead to abuse. Okay, next. Not only do you shepherd with unconditional love, not only do you shepherd with tenderness, but this is kind of the result. Shepherding wins the following of the sheep. I love this part. And I want it for the church. Shepherding wins, doesn't demand, wins the following of the sheep. So Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. Now look what he says. I know my sheep, dwell with them according to knowledge, and am known of mine. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, tender leadership, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Isn't that beautiful? Now, I talked about forbearance. I talked about long-suffering. You know, the Bible says that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. The word goodness is actually the word that demonstrates benevolence. It demonstrates doing good things beneficial for people. One of the things that's really apparent for us is that God does good things for us when we don't deserve it. Have you ever experienced that? I remember Dr. John and Rice says, God is more good to me, much more good to me than I am to him. That's the principle. Husbands usually only do good to their wives when they deserve it. And here's the key. You need to do good things when they don't deserve it. You win them. You win a following. So unconditional love, along with t unconditional love uh, in regard to your, your sacrificing for her, tenderness wins the following of a wife. Okay, now, oh, I, I do like this. I think I have this. Hold on just a second. I want to go back to Psalm 23. If you want to turn there, I've got to turn there anyways. To Psalm 23. I, I know most of us know by heart, and I could probably quote it by heart, but I'm just going to do this. Now, Here's what David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. When I was a little child. Um, when I was a little child. I used to think. That the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want him. But obviously you know. The Lord is my shepherd. That means I will not lack. Or want for anything. He meets. Every one of my needs. Now. Notice. These words that I'm going to emphasize in the psalm. He. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He. Restoreth my soul. He. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Do you know God was with joy when you when he took her home, I could see it. Do you know God was with me after he took her home? I experienced it. The shadow of death is not just the physical aspect of death. It's, it's the valley of death. Hard, difficult times. Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now here's the result. My cob is so full, it runs over. You know, that's the concept of the filled life and the outflow life. Your cup, you're the vessel. He fills you to overflowing. Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Goodness. And mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And where do I want to be? I'm going to dwell in the house of God for how long? Forever. Don't you want to follow that shepherd? Forever? That's the way it can be in the home. By shepherding leadership. Now, let me give you uh, quickly three results and then, then give you a barometer how, how well you know you're doing. The number one result is, you know, a lot of people say, how do I save my marriage? With, with, with dwelling with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, it's not that you will save your marriage alone. You'll enjoy your marriage. You know, I want to be careful with this because you need to understand it. When certain men lose their wives, they're not pained. And here's why. They didn't have a good marriage. But the problem was not her, as we'll see in a minute. The problem was him. The fact that I so grieved over Joy's loss demonstrated, I don't know about her with me, but me with her. I lost everything. It was unbelievable painful. You'll enjoy your marriage, not just endure your marriage. The second thing is the influence in the home. I see this now. Do you want to give a gift to your child? You want to give a gift to your child that will impact them in a tremendous way. I understand other things need to be in place. But if you want to give the biggest gift you can give to your child that will impact them in the greatest way is when they see dad loving mom like this. Dad loves mom. Do you know the security it gives? Do you know the benefit? Dad loves mom. You know, it'd be neat if children says, if a boy says, you know, when I get a wife, I want to love her like dad loves mom. And a girl would say, you know, 
when God leads me to the husband, I want a husband that loves me like dad loves mom. It's powerful. It, it influences the home. Now, what you've just heard and what we're going to talk about later is that there's no way a husband can do this. It's not the husband loving mom. It's Christ loving mom through the husband. It's the only way it's possible to love them as Christ loved the church. So you have to have the exchanged life, the spirit-filled life. The third thing that's powerful about this is that when this happens, instead of conflicting, instead of you, your strengths conflicting with their faults or their strengths conflicting, conflicting with your faults, instead of conflicting, what you do is you blend. Now, this is extremely important because, because I've been all wrong on this. I used to think, well, okay, you've got a dad, you've got a mom, he's got strengths, she's got strengths. I know they each got weaknesses, but his strengths will get put into the children, her strengths will get put in the children, and the children will turn out. Guess what? Doesn't work that way. Well, how does it work? It's not each one puts their own strengths, it's each one blends with each other until the husband and the wife become a unit of one. The blending of strengths, overcoming each other's weaknesses, so that their discipline or raising of the children is not individual, it's a unit of one. Dad does the same thing mom does, mom does the same thing dad does. My parents, they spoke in German. Uh, it was... Um, I can't remember the name now. Schwabish. It wasn't high German. It was a Schwabish. And they would discuss whether I could do something or couldn't do something. When I wanted to do something, I'd ask my parents and they would discuss it. But when they discuss it, they'd speak in German. And I didn't know who to root for. I didn't know to root for mom because she really wanted me, but dad didn't. Or root for dad because he wanted me and mom didn't. I didn't know who to root for. How many times does a child go to the parent when, and they know which parent will give them what they want? And one pits against the other. That doesn't happen now. Mom and dad are one through blended strength. It's a powerful means by raising children. So these three things, you'll enjoy your marriage, you'll prepare, you'll be a phenomenal influence to your children demonstrating dad demonstrating his love for mom and you'll blend your strengths together now let me just close with this men how do you know if you're doing this there's a way to find out how do you know i mean you could ask her but there's another way that you could know like i alluded to before she's a barometer now, when I mean a barometer, God, and by the way, if you haven't read this book, you need to get this book. It's, it's, it's understanding, isn't it understanding? Discovering. Or discovering the mind of a woman. Some, I, I know there's all kinds of jokes that relate to that, but we don't have time for the jokes. How many volumes? <laughs> you know. <laughs> the essence of the book is she's a responder. So if you said, preacher, <laughs> you need to know my wife when you talk about this stuff. 
She's the way she is because of you. She's responding to your leadership. If you, if, if, if you said, no one could have given me a better wife than the one that I have. I like John and Mary Lynn, what they have. If I had to choose again, I'd choose you. The reason she's that way is because of his leadership. They are meant to respond. That's why God created them. So however they are is because of the way you've been treating when they're responding right, it's because you're leading through the power of the Holy Spirit doing the right things. When they're responding wrong, it's because you caused it. She's your barometer. Her actions are telling you it's a revealing aspect. That's what we've been talking about. It's not blaming her for the way the home is. It's not blaming her for the way that you are. It's realizing that God is using my wife to reveal me to me so I can see myself the way God sees me and I can be the shepherd of the home through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, what heads, in context of chapter 5, what heads when, when the list of the home or the responsibilities of the home is deleted, what heads the list? Be not drunk with wine, but be, that's the how. This is the what, that's the how. Three evidences of being filled with the Spirit, what are they? First one, anybody know? Singing, that's joy. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll enjoy your wife. What's the second? Giving thanks for everything. Being filled with the Spirit, you'll thank God for her the way she is. And what's the third? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The idea is that you will shepherd her. You will submit to God. And by submitting to God, you'll be submitting to her in leading her as God intended you to lead her. You know what? You know what the biggest damage to the church is? You know what the biggest breakdown to the church? You know what the biggest breakdown to the nation is? homes as the home is so goes the church and as the church is so goes the nation and who's responsible for the home dad it's you it's me for the church pastor it's me it needs to happen in me before it's going to happen in the church and it needs to happen in you dads before it's going to happen in the home you're the channel of the very life of Jesus Christ, first to your wife and then to your children. Let's pray. Father, I do pray tonight, or this, this afternoon. I pray you'd work in my heart as a pastor in the context of shepherding. I thank you for each man that's here. Thank you for each wife that's here. And Lord, I pray that you do a work in the hearts of us men. Help us to see. Help us to understand Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 3. Lord, help us to understand the exchanged life so that we're not doing this in our own strength. For surely we have failed in our own strength and we always will fail in our own strength. Lord, teach us of the power of being filled with the Spirit. 
especially in the home. That we can have a joyful home where people enjoy God, enjoy one another, happy with unconditional love and tenderness and all the results that follows. Lord, do a work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.